0: Dr. Jones, how much more we dig?
1: Not much more, Shorty. All the signs point to this spot.
0: Are Nazis still out there?
1: Watching us, right now.
0: You not afraid of Nazis?
1: Not particularly.
0: You not afraid of curse?
1: The curse the locals wouldn't stop talking about. I'm here, aren't I?
0: Indy. I think I find something.
1: I don't believe it.
0: It's another lost episode, isn't it?
1: Yeah,
2: another lost episode.
0: Indy, me got bad feeling about this.
1: All right, Short Round. I'm going with your gut on this one.
0: What do you mean?
1: Throw it back in the hole. Maybe we'll leave this one for the Nazis
0: me like the way you think, Dr. Jones.
2: Chaloo, Chaloo, Chalupa E, have I got a podcast for thee. Chaloo, Chaloo, Chalupa 2, you know the podcast is just for you. <sighs> Sorry. Uh, hey, this is Rish Outfield, and this is the Rish Outcast. Well,
0: still, with my why
2: am I so obviously insane? In a perfect situation, I let love down the drain. Okay, cards on the so table. If you're one of those folks that to do swing and listens hero. to my show, well, shame on you. No, 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 be- I, that's where I'm going, but not quite that far. If you're one of those people that listens to my show, but thinks, dang, why does Rish always have to have stories with objectionable content in them, then this episode is not for you. <coughs> Fart. Right there. I, I got it out of the way. There's there's content in this episode. So you get yourself a content warning. Boop.
1: Hell no, Rish Outfield.
2: But if you like that sort of thing, or if you enjoy this episode... And you'll find out a half hour from now you have Big Anklevich to thank.
0: Oh,
1: hell no, Big Anklevich.
2: Because, to make a long story short, this is a story that I wrote especially for Big Anklevich. And then after I recorded it, I got second thoughts. I thought, you know, uh, this isn't, this, 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 this is, uh, eh. and I sent the story to Big and said, hey, would you mind listening to this and letting me know if I should share this as an episode of the Rish Outcast or not? And uh, when he finally did listen to it, he sent me a very, very brief text that said, uh, yeah, go ahead. I think it would be fun. And so, as I said, if you like it, he is to thank. And if you do not like it, then I am to blame. It has nothing to do with Big Anklevich. Um, yeah, yeah, that's it. So the story I'm sharing with you today is called Bad Trip. You know, that was not the original title. I, I, I could not come up with a title that I loved. When I sat down and recorded the audio, I gave a couple of alternate titles. Bad Field Trip was one of them trip a field a field trip but none of those well none of them thrilled me including bad trip but because bad trip is what i had written in my notebook that's sort of what the i remembered the story as being called in my head and um With that having been said, I'm just going to go ahead and share the story with you, and we will talk on the other side. I mean, unless you turn it off, which is totally fine, but you should have done it when I said fart. Twice. Bad Trip by Rich Outfield The phone rings about an hour before my alarm would normally wake me. I open my eyes, grit my teeth, and reach over. It's Elizabeth, my ex-wife.
0: Harry, it's me,
2: she says, and I sit up just a little straighter in bed. She never called me Harry unless she was drunk or horny. I doubt it's the latter, not where I'm involved. Hey, Liza. Are you... I begin. What do you have going on today? She cuts me off. And I can tell she doesn't care what I say. She's got something else on her mind. Not much, just driving down to Praised to... She interrupts me again. Look, something's come up. I was supposed to take Panda to a field trip today with her class. Be a chaperone. But Marco's sort of got a problem, so I can't be there. Marco, her new husband, is everything I'm not. Tall, handsome, naturally slim, with straight teeth, a non-receding hairline, and a smooth, sexy name. What happened? I ask. He in jail? It's not a serious question. But frankly, that's where the comparison between us sort of falls in my favor. Marco has a habit of starting fights— Fights over nothing. Fights without a winner. Fights he could easily avoid. But fights he was more than happy to jump into, fists flying. He'd once hit a guy at a sporting goods Black Friday sale so hard that he'd broken his hand in three places. "'You should see the other guy,' he told me twice. I realize that Elizabeth hasn't said anything, so I laugh. "'Wait, it's true?' I was just joking, but what's come up is none of your business, Harold. Ah, so we've come back to my unflattering given name. Since my ex is calling me for a favor, I feel it is 100% my business, but I let it go. Okay, I say, glancing over at the clock to make sure I can go back to sleep when this conversation is over. What do you need? Elizabeth loudly exhales. There might be relief in there. Or maybe it just sucks so much to have to talk to me. She and two other girls need a ride to their field trip at 9.15. It's the bead factory on the frontage road. Wait, I need to pick her up at 9.15 or, or be at the factory at nine fifty. It's a perfectly reasonable question. But she makes her patented, exasperated ex-wife sound anyway. You need to pick her up at 9 a.m. in front of the school. Maybe earlier. I'm up and out of bed by this point. So far, Elizabeth hasn't asked me if I am able or willing to do this. When she said, I need you to, it left no wiggle room. Okay, so I take her there, walk around with her, bring her home? Not home, Elizabeth all but snarls. Back to school. Right, right. Pick her up at nine. Her and two other girls. I have their names somewhere. One's Gladys from her soccer team. The other is... Whoa, she has a friend named Gladys? Is this a particularly elderly second grader? Don't start, Harold. Oh, yes. How she hated how much I'd harp on the stupid hipster names kids get saddled with nowadays. Even more than I hate their ironic, comically misspelled, oh-so-unique names. Where is this place? I ask. I told you it's on the frontage road by where all the condos are being built. This time I interrupt her. I need the address, Liza. I'll text it to you, she says. And then, amid the rattling of paper, Oh, Lori. The other girl is Lori. Uh-huh. No smart remark about that name. It would take me three cups of coffee to sound so superior this early in the morning. I shrug, not that she can see it over the phone. "'Depends on how they spell it.' She repeats the exasperated sound. "'Be calm,' I say to her, "'which actually used to work back when we were together. "'I've got this.' "'Thanks,' she whispers, "'and I can hear the stress eating away at her. "'Elizabeth used to have panic attacks "'once every other month or so. "'They were irrational and disturbing,' "'but came as part of the package off the show floor. "'I assumed she no longer had them, "'now that she lived with Marco, "'the welterweight champion of the produce aisle. "'But you never know. "'When Elizabeth speaks again, "'her voice is calmer, sweeter, "'like she might call me Harry again.
0: "'What did you have going on this morning?'
2: "'Oh, uh, there's a guy who died in Praisden. "'Had a big book collection in his basement.' A lot of King first editions. Apparently the man had been a horror buff and had a signed gunslinger first printing and even a Bachman paperback copy of Rage. If I get there first, I could make a mint. Probably have half of them sold by the end of the day. Great, Elizabeth says, uninterested. Can you reschedule it? Now it sounds like she's asking, not telling. I'll just go this afternoon, I say. Hopefully no other booksellers beat me to it. Good, good. I...
0: I'm sorry to spring this on you, Harry.
2: It's not quite the woman I married, but it'll do. Don't worry about it. Jewelry, you said? Beads. It'll be fun, I lie. All right. Thank you. I've got to go, she says. Need any help making bail? I can't help but ask. F you, she says, and hangs up. I'm brushing my teeth when the text comes through. 1577 Frontage Road, 9.15 a.m. Now, I know what you're saying. You make fun of a Gladys, or a Ruth, or a Bailey, for that matter, when you named your daughter Pandora? Well, first off, Pandora is spelled correctly, and secondly, piss off. Elizabeth and I had agreed, if it was a boy, she'd name him. Her pick had been Oliver, and if it was a girl, she'd be mine to name. It was a girl, and my wife nixed Esmeralda my first choice. So she's Pandora, or Dora if it has to be shortened. Though, not anticipating comparisons to a certain cartoon explorer, most of the time we called her Panda, for short. She's a good girl, smart, fun-loving, and surprisingly thoughtful for an only child. One day, maybe she'll grow up to be a terror that cajoles, looks down on people, never forgetting a mistake, and always has to get her way, like a certain female parent of hers. But for now, she's pretty close to excellent even does her homework before she goes home. I'd been to the school only a handful of times, and it's always confusing where to park. There are three lots, one marked employees only, one marked buses only, and one marked faculty. This time, I park in the employees' spot and take a minute to clean out the back seat, where various napkins, bags, and receipts keep accumulating. There's a box of Heinlein paperbacks there that I stick in the trunk. It occurs to me that kids' pandas' age are supposed to be in booster chairs or car seats, and I only have a single little green booster. Whoops. I ask myself what Elizabeth would have done, if she'd made it this morning. It's 9.06 a.m. But it's impossible to say. To me, not having a booster seat isn't a big deal— But some of these parents mark on their calendars when to throw the kids' toothbrushes away. I start to walk across the lot to the front entrance of the elementary school. I hear the noise of children and see a procession exiting the side door, chattering as they follow their teacher, a hefty black lady called Ms. Chadwick. The Ms. thing is a weird affectation, but everybody uses it. I see other parents pulling their cars right up to the sidewalk in front of the doors the ones marked No Parking Any Time on them. Great. Then I hear a familiar squeal, and Pandora comes running toward me, right into the road where the cars that are not supposed to park there are lining up to park. I quickly meet her and scoop her into my arms. Daddy! she exclaims, and her happiness makes me as happy as a drunk sorority girl. I put her down, looking her over, Her hair seems longer than the last time I saw her, which was only two weeks back. "'Bet you didn't expect to see me,' I say.
0: "'No. Mom told me. You're taking us to the factory place.'
2: "'Right. You and two other kids. Gladys is the name of one.'
0: "'Yeah, I know where she is. Come on.'
2: She takes my hand and heads me back to the group. Before we arrive, she says,
0: Somebody hit into Marco's car, daddy.
2: Oh, really? I'm surprised. I had honestly believed he had beaten somebody up again. Had even imagined the whole embarrassing scene while having my morning shower.
0: Yeah, a lady crashed into him. He was so mad that he hit her.
2: Ah, I say, and don't dare say any more. Elizabeth has often insisted that the man has his temper under control, and works out his aggression at the gym, never once laying a finger on her or Pandora. But this is a new wrinkle in the tale. My daughter introduces me to Gladys and Laurie, two toothy, unremarkable girls not nearly as cute as my own kid. What's the name of this place? I ask. I know, Laurie mumbles, as will become her catchphrase.
0: Hillside Elementary,
2: Gladys says, pointing to the front of the school. That's great, I say. And the place we're going, what's it called? I don't know, Laurie says again, and the others agree with her. Already parents are driving away with their kids in tow.
0: I don't know its name, but they make beads there,
2: Panda tells me.
0: All kinds of beads, adds Gladys for necklaces, bracelets, and clothes.
2: Great, is my continued response, though it sounds insanely boring. If I had a son, and he wanted to drag his mother to a baseball card factory, I guess we would be even. But we don't have a son. And this is supposed to be fun for the students, not the parents. I think about talking to Ms. Chadwick, but there are three other mother types surrounding her on the sidewalk. "'and I don't dare brave that. "'Does your teacher know I'm taking you?' I ask them.
0: "'Mom told the office,'
2: Pandora says.
0: "'And they brought a note to tell me.'
2: "'Okay, great,' I say again. "'And that just about covers it. "'We head to the car. "'Well, it's not boring, that's for sure.' Gladys, a blonde rich girl type, protests my back seat, saying she's not allowed to ride in a car without a car seat. I argue that we're only driving two miles and not on the freeway, but she is pretty adamant. I wonder if Gladys is also not allowed to ride in a stranger's car either, but I don't dare bring that up. I look at Lori to see if she will also make a fuss, and big surprise, Lori doesn't know. But Pandora graciously lets Gladys sit in her booster chair, and sits on the seat next to her, without complaint. I've done something right. There's not a lot of room back there, but the three girls make do, yammering away the whole drive. We reach the frontage road, where many ugly industrial buildings sit. A lasagna factory, two steel plants, the place where we rented all the wedding stuff for our reception, and a greenhouse— At 17.55 is a small squat building, with a sign reading Buried Pleasures Outside. I wonder if that's a typo, but it says it on the other side, too. I pull the car in. It has a gated entrance, and an old guy sits reading a paper in a booth beside it. He looks over. I roll my window down. Here for the tour, I say. Yeah... "'You sure, buddy?' he eyes the three girls in the back. "'I don't get his joke, but I laugh anyway. "'Pretty sure. "'He probably guesses I'm in over my head with three tweens in a row, "'and I can't say I blame him. "'Okay, anywhere but the first aisle.' "'We park, and the girls get out, "'excited about beads in a way no human being should be capable.' Lori hopes they'll be giving away free samples. Thrilling. I hope there will be a place to sit and or a drinking fountain. We walk, the three girls holding hands, across the lot and into the buried pleasure's double doors. There are murals on the walls, depicting pretty models smiling or sighing exultantly. Only one wears anything remotely like beads, but she is certainly good-looking. "'A pleasant, motherly-faced receptionist looks up at us. "'Can I help you?' "'We're here for the tour,' I say. "'The tour?' "'She looks away, and I half worry my fly is unzipped. "'The tour already started, but you can catch up with it, if you're sure.' "'I briefly glance down, but my zipper is up and my pants are buttoned. "'Sure of what?' That you all want to? I'm starting to take all this second-guessing a bit personally. I open my mouth to argue, but my daughter says, Dad! in that way of hers, and so, yeah, we'll be on our way. I don't get how we could be late, or how the rest of the parents could be on their tour already. I think Elizabeth might have given me the wrong time, but everybody at the school had been there right when I had. More likely... They had all been given a map, with some kind of shortcut that I hadn't been privy to. Or they'd parked somewhere else, and hadn't had to wait for the old man to get up from his seat, and eventually let them in. Yep, we're sure, I say. The receptionist has a heavy-set man, who might be the janitor, lead us through the employee entrance, and to the conference room, which is empty, then to the factory floor, where the tour is just getting going. The days of running on D batteries are well behind us now, she's saying, although there are still a couple you can use triple A's on. The tour guide is a small, black-haired woman who is just short of attractive. Her eyes are a bit too close together, like a bad Photoshop alteration, and she's talking about the history of the building and the growth of the business in just twelve years. She boasts about the number of toys produced every week, which is impressively high. The tour group is about sixteen people, most of them women, attentive and respectful, listening with rapt attention. I only see three children in the front, but they can't be the same age as Pandu... No, wait. They aren't kids at all, but dwarves, little people, two women and a man. The hell? The tour guide smiles at the people at the front of the group and goes on to tell us the varieties of products they manufacture. She does this with a straight face. When we first started, it was with the jackhammer, which we still produce, followed shortly by the organ
0: grinder, the whipping rod, the worm turns, and then
2: the double header. None of this is familiar to me, and I glance at the girls, who all seem bored or distracted, Big shock, Lori is looking down at her phone. The guide takes a question from a plump, ginger-haired housewife type, dressed like it's Easter Sunday, who wants to know their biggest seller. Well, that would be our lady's best friend, Model 1B. I can't give you the exact number, but we do manufacture just over a thousand of them each week. A thousand? The housewife coos. Sounds like heaven. The group laughs, a little harder than I think is necessary. But then, I don't give a crap about beads, or toys, or whatever else this place makes. The guide says, Now, if you'll follow me, I'll take you to our main production facility. This is where the magic happens, I like to say. As the girls and I hurry to catch up, my daughter says, Daddy... Where are the other kids? It's a good question, one I don't have the answer to. But I tell her there are probably a couple of tours going at once, and we got in an early one. Panda accepts my guess as though it's the only possible explanation. We move on to the main section of the building, a huge warehouse-like chamber with chemical vats, conveyor belts, and two Volkswagen-sized industrial presses and I thought necklaces were made by hand, with little old ladies stringing the individual beads one at a... Suddenly, I see the first penis. It's on a track, undulating slightly, and is a gargantuan pink thing, complete with rubbery head and veins. The small-eyed guide has just been asked what all is made in this room. As she begins to answer, I can't help but gasp. Dildos! Yes, says the guide, but more specifically, our entire size-for-size size product line, as well as the following. She takes a comically deep breath and begins her list. The Doubleheader, the heart throb, the Drain-the-Rock-Johnson, the McRibbed, the Dong-Corleone, the Jackhammer, the Organ-Grinder, the Hack-Jammer, The Wang Chung. She goes on and on by memory, listing different models of vibrators, proud as a peacock. A couple of the people on the tour applaud their favorite products. The Michael J. Cox. The Dildozer. The Tongue and the Restless. The Screw Barrymore. The Fister Spock. The Back Alley Dentist. The Hakeem Schlong, The Rainmaker and the five-dollar long. The tour guide finishes her list, then gives us the bad news. Unfortunately, the mighty Joe Hung has been discontinued. There are sounds of disappointment from some of the onlookers. The girls in my group are not looking at the woman any more. All three are staring at a conveyor belt carrying dozens of new, shiny dongs, some pink some brown, most peach-colored, and a couple jet-black. All are considerably bigger than my own, and seem almost weapon-like in this industrial environment, like a line of rockets on their way to war. Still, she continues her spiel. Because of privacy concerns, it's difficult to gauge just how big our share of the market is. But as far as U.S. manufacturers go, it's... Considerably large. And the people standing around us find that charming. Finally, Lori has forgotten about her phone and says something other than, I don't know. She giggles and realizes, aloud, They're wieners. The others laugh too, and I guess that is just too distracting. The tour guide stops, angles her neck to see who's laughing. And her mouth falls open. The entire group has done the same. Apparently, they never really saw us until now. The heavy set lady, who thought a thousand plastic prongs sounded like heaven, huffs and says, You brought your daughters to a vibrator factory? The stares fall directly on me. Yeah, it seems pretty wrong headed when you put it like that. One of the Asian men on the tour meets my eyes and shakes his head in disgust. A wave of surreality washes over me. The trio of little people seem amused, and I would not be surprised if they began a well-rehearsed song and dance number. Dildo, dildo, dildo wowee,
0: I see a shaft of enormity.
2: The thought makes me smile, just a little bit and then my daughter's hand has gone into mine. Daddy, she says confidentially.
0: I think we came to the wrong
2: place. Amazingly, that makes me want to laugh all the more. Dildos, doze dildos, dildos. I look down at her. You know, honey, you may be right. I raise my hand, and the tour guide nods her head. Is there an exit to the parking lot around here? I ask. And thankfully, there is. The drive back to the school is filled with questions. The girls debate what all the shafts were for. Gladys thinks they might go on mannequins, and I don't disagree with her. How we ended up there, and why people would be going on a field trip to a place like that. This time... It's me that keeps repeating, I don't know. Well, the shitstorm is considerable, but it could have been worse, all things considered. I drive the girls back to school and have to apologize to the teacher, who is upset I hadn't just called her when it was clear I'd gotten lost, although it had never been clear. And who has their kid's teacher's cell phone number? Miss Chadwick tells me it would be best if I apologized, in person, to Panda's two classmates' parents. I say I will, and throw in one more, I'm very sorry, to her for good measure. Lori and Pandora run for the school, but Gladys surprises me by giving me a quick hug and thanking me for taking her to the thing store, as she calls it. I hope I can go again sometime she adds, before heading inside to, presumably, write an essay about what she'd learned. Later, I do have a meeting with the girl's parents. Lori's folks are religious and freak me out more than a little with their outrage and accusations. They find it difficult to believe that I had gone in there by accident, and even I have to admit to sounding cartoonishly stupid in explaining myself. But to Gladys's parents' credit, they find the whole thing, including their daughter's exciting retelling, pretty amusing. Elizabeth, of course, does not find it so understandable. I meet with her that same morning, waiting for her to arrive at Hillside Elementary like she's my angry father instead of the former love of my life. Elizabeth bites my head off, claiming this is the last time she will ever call me for help and worried her daughter—not our daughter, mind you—will be scarred pathologically for the rest of her life. I am damn lucky, she says, that she doesn't sue for my visitation privileges to be removed altogether. Well, this gets my ire up, and I very nearly play the, Oh, yeah? Well, where was your husband when this psychological scarring was going on? At least I didn't punch some old lady on our way through the parking lot. To be fair, the woman in question was thirty-six years old, and apparently a foul-mouthed barmaid type, but facts don't matter in this case, because I don't bring it up. Instead, I unlock my phone and hold up the text message Elizabeth had sent that morning, showing the address as 1755 Frontage, the dildo factory, instead of 1575 Frontage Road, the bead plant. Elizabeth had texted it to me, and unless she had sent me to the wrong address on purpose, it had just been a simple,
1: if embarrassing, misunderstanding. My ex-wife looks from the phone to me, then back to the phone again. This is in the elementary school parking lot, the faculty
2: parking section this time where a bike messenger seems to be enjoying what he can hear of our conversation. He is also quite brazenly checking out Liza's ass. Finally, Elizabeth swallows back whatever nastiness she is going to spew next. You'll apologize to everybody, she asks softly. I'm pretty sure the bike messenger misses this part. To the world, I say, my temper just held in check. She deflates. All right, she sighs. I've got other things to worry about right now, so I... She doesn't finish the statement, but my gut keeps telling me it was going to be an apology. We say a couple of things after, and then go our separate ways. Again. Her new husband is obviously in trouble, and that has to weigh heavily on her. Elizabeth, I say as she gets up in her nice, high SUV. Would it help if I told you we got some free samples? She doesn't laugh, but she does smile. Small pleasure there, instead of a
1: buried one. The end. So
2: there you go. Bad trip. I wanted there to be a play on words with the title, uh, you know, on field trip. So that's why I did, you know, a field, you know, just trying to say that that it went wrong, you know. But when I called it bad field trip, it didn't make any sense. You couldn't tell that it was a play on bad trip. And then a field is just a, a, it's not a word that people use very often. Maybe they use it in sports. Although, no, why wouldn't they just say foul ball? Anyhow, I went with Bad Trip, and like I said, Big Anklevich was the one that said uh, he thought that the story would be fun. And Big Anklevich is really uh, who I wrote it for. And the story goes that a few years back, let's say 2016, My sister got called into work, and she had volunteered to chaperone at a field trip at my nephew's elementary school, and had signed up that she would drive my nephew and two other students to a pumpkin patch. Then she got called into work. You know, somebody dropped out, and they said, can you come into work? And she said yes. Uh, having forgotten that she was going to be chaperoning. And so she asked if I would do it, and I was fine with that. I went over and I switched cars with my mom because she's got a bigger car than me, and it's not always filled with junk like mine is. I went over to the elementary school. I picked up my nephew and the other two kids. We went to the town just south of us where they had this big pumpkin patch. And, you know, it was just like acres of pumpkins. And then they had all these activities. Like, there were animals that you could pet. There were... I'm trying to remember. it. Was, see, it was a, a harvest thing, a Halloween time, a October kind of thing, which is, uh, you know, obviously when there are the pumpkins. And the only things that I can remember that there were was there was this big like McDonald's type playland area, but instead of being filled with balls, it was filled with corn, hard kernels of corn, just thousands and thousands of kernels of corn. And the kids could bury themselves in it. They could swim in it. They could go down slides into the corn. It ended up getting into your shoes and your socks and your hair in your clothes, but it was fun. Then the other activity was that there was a wagon. Uh, you know what, what? What do they call it? Like a horse-drawn. The, the word is 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 slipping my mind right now, but it's just a big flat trailer being pulled by a tractor, and they would take the kids through the pumpkin patch all around it on this tractor. And I found that really boring. The kids, you know, were there just to have fun. And I just had to be there as an adult body to make sure, you know, they didn't fall off the wagon or something. Like, (laughs) you know what I mean? And so to keep myself occupied I started texting Big Anklevich and I told him about the field trip and I thought that it would be funny to say that I had made a wrong turn and I seemed to have taken the children to a dildo factory instead. And Big played along and he's just like, wow, are, are there a lot of dildos? What kind of dildos are there? And so I made up the names of models that they might be selling. And I would just send them to him, text after text after text, like a dozen titles. And I, I don't remember whether he sent titles back, but let's say that he did because that makes the story more amusing. And uh, that got me through the whole morning just laughing a lot. I was laughing when I came up with the titles and I was laughing when he would send me the titles, laughing, describing to him what we were looking at and the children's reactions. It was, you know, the most memorable field trip that I I can remember, mostly just because of that. and not long after that i thought it would be fun to write that up as a story and so i did but when it came to the bit about the tour guide went down a list of the products that they made at the factory i wanted to use all those names that i had made up and sent to big anklevich and I had by this point gotten a different phone and lost all of my texts. You know how that works, right? And so I emailed Big and I said, hey, can you find that text chain that I sent to you that day and and send it back to me so that I can put this in a story? And I think Big had lost all those texts by this point or deleted them. Maybe he'd gotten a new phone too. Maybe they just drop off after a certain amount of time. But he was never able to get me that list. And because of that, the story just sat. Uh, Eventually, I think I typed it up in like 2018, 2019. But it still had that empty space where I thought, okay, I guess I'll have to come up with new names. And I didn't want to do it. Uh, it wasn't until it was time to sit down and record this that I made the list. And I, I, you know, I think I set myself a goal of coming up with a dozen of these. And I wanted them to be as funny as they were on the field trip day. But the only one that I came up with that I thought was quite funny was the Hakim Elijah Schlank. I don't know why that was funny to me, but it's still funny. I don't know. And it was the one part in the recording of the episode where I laughed and had to do it over and over again. But once I reached the end, I thought, you know, I should have been laughing through this whole thing. And I didn't. I don't think that this story is funny at all. And there's... A sort of mean spiritedness to it, anyway, with the fairly nasty ex wife, and then this piece of work that she seems to have married, who was based on my cousin. And I've told the story before where he once beat a guy so bad he just kept hitting him and kept hitting him, even when he was on the ground, until he had broken both of his hands. I don't know that, well, anyhow, there's a sourness to the story that may make it less amusing than it would otherwise have been. If we had written a very, very light story about a guy who genuinely wants to do right by his kid and accidentally takes the daughter and her friends to a dildo factory, yeah, it would feel very different. But, you know, that's not the story that I wrote. And sometimes you have to fail in order to recognize success or in order to learn enough, grow enough, get smart enough to succeed. I don't know. I'm not a...
0: I don't know.
2: I'm not a uh, an inspirational person. I, I'm not one of those motivators. I'm not an influencer. Nothing like that. But one of my goals for 2021 has been to try to have a positive attitude. And so I was just going to have this story be in one of my anthologies, uh, you know, audio collections. But because I wrote it for Big, well, you know, essentially for Big and his sense of humor, I sent it to him and asked him to be the final decision. And so here we are. He said, go for it. And uh, you just heard it. The word dildo has always been very amusing to me. And I remember when I first heard it, some guy, let's say it was Dan Underwood, called me a dildo in gym class while we were uh, playing dodgeball or basketball or something like that. And a friend of mine, Matt Lloyd, I asked him, what, what did he call me? And he goes, dildo. And I said, what is a dildo? And he says, you know, it's a vibrator. And I said, oh, okay. And then after class, I went up to Matt and I said, hey, Matt, what's a vibrator? And he explained it to me, but it was a very foreign idea, foreign concept. To me uh and uh now I own twelve, so you know we you've come a long way baby i um I don't have anything more to say about the story, really everybody's sense of humor is different, and everybody's moral barometer is different. I wanted the protagonist of this story to have made. An honest mistake, and ultimately it's not even his mistake. Luckily, he had the text from his ex-wife that she had sent him that was the wrong address. And it's just, you know, a terrible coincidence or misunderstanding or whatever that, had I chosen to make the story lighter, would be one of those stories that you tell, that you eat out on from now on. Hey, Mikey. Tell the uh, the dildo factory story again. I I don't know. In reality, I think that there would be some really serious fallout to something like this. And people don't tend to have senses of humor about this sort of thing. But at the same time, the premise is so absurd. Can you imagine tours at a dildo factory? I think it was Big's idea, although he will say that it was mine, that there would be dwarfs that came out that sang... Dildo, 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 it's true. I've got a knight, um made just for you. He-he. He thought that was quite funny, and when it came time to do the audio, I did change the tune because... I just wanted to see if I could. So as I was saying... I just find the word dildo to be amusing. I I just think that it is a very funny word. And um, if you don't, uh, you know, I, I, I get it. That's what I was saying. People's sense of humors are very subjective and something that makes me laugh or makes me afraid or makes me sad or makes me swell up in romantic glee will not have that same effect on you. Sorry, let me rephrase. It might not have the same effect on you. There's no such a thing as something that is universally loved. For example, my cousin that I'm going to the house to visit, you know, the one that is close to me, he doesn't like the Beatles. He doesn't get the Beatles. He doesn't understand why they are loved, why they are the most beloved band of all time. And I've tried to explain it to him before, but you either get it or you don't, I guess. You know, in the same way as, you know, a classic song speaks to you or doesn't speak to you. And, um, you know, there are a couple of songs that I talk about that are played, that are overplayed, that are played into the ground, that people are just sick to death of, that I turn up whenever I hear them, despite having heard over and over and over again. And then there are a couple that are overplayed beyond any understanding in my mind. It's just like, why would you play Breakfast at Tiffany's ever, let alone so much in a list of 90s songs? So you've got My Heart Will Go On, I Will Always Love You, and Breakfast at Tiffany's? It just, uh, you know, it's one of those things. I will never get that. And I guess that's the point I'm trying to make, is everything is subjective. Uh, I think that, uh, well, enough. Enough. That, that's the last word that I have on it. If you liked the story, well, that's great. And if you didn't like the story, well, I will continue to attempt to write something that you like. And uh, if I can't please me all of the time, <laughs> well, thank you for joining me. I hope that your next field trip is a good one. And uh, I appreciate your listening.
1: Good night. Uh The Rich Out Cash was produced under a Creative Commons attribution, no derivatives, 3.0 license. That sounds crazy too, I realize. But it means that you may copy and download the file, free of charge, but it does not belong to you. Hence, you cannot charge for it or alter it for your own perfidious purposes. What's perfidious mean, Fake Sean? Oh, you think I know? I just read what's put in front of me. Is that so? Then here. Rich Outfield is a fine, fine lad, and would make a fitting boyfriend for any of you ladies out there. Wow, you really do read what's in front of you. Yes, even if it's false. The music used in the episode was by one Kevin McLeod from the website incompetech.com, also under a Creative Commons license. And please consider going to www.patreon.com forward slash to support the show if you appreciate any part of the madness. Good night.
2: She somehow moved faster than he did, even though he was in better, even though he was in even, even though he was in even better shape than he had been in the summer, even though he was even, even though he was in even better shape than he had been in the summer, but she was fleet-footed, and didn't have to hesitate. God, shilly shally. No, no, I mean it. I've never heard the word shilly shally before. Shilly shally, rati.
1: Merota, Merotra, written by Rati Merotra, Rati Merotra, written by
2: Rati Merota. Noted Princess Leah, noted, written by Mahi Meherotra, written by Rati Meherotra, written by that name, narrated. Irish outfield. Thought was quite funny was the Hakim Elijah Schwan was the Hakim Elijah? was the Hakim Elijah Schwan was the Hakim Elijah? was the Hakim Elijah Schwan Dildo 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 for you. You know, I've got a problem that you could. I've got a
1: I've got an
2: item made just for you, you know, that kind of stuff. So I just went to Walmart, and uh, as I was walking in, there was a guy, like a 30 year old dude, walking out, and he had a box of Tampax in his hand. And, And, you know, I found that unusual, but he didn't have it in a bag. He just had it in his hand. And I thought about that. And you know, there's that stereotype of the men are super embarrassed to buy that kind of stuff. And you know, their wives will send them to the grocery store to pick up something that they don't really understand. Uh, And then it's mortifying when they have to buy it, Uh, especially if they don't know like size or quantity or any of that stuff. And they have to ask about it. That's a, that's been a running joke for years and years. But this guy didn't have it in a bag. He just had it out, and he was sort of flaunting it. It was like, well, around here, you'll see guys, and they'll have trucks or beat-up cars, and they'll put ostentatious signs or bumper stickers on there, and you know, they'll, they'll put the Let's Go Brandon sticker on, or... Trump is my lord and savior, or rape in giant letters, you know. These signs, and uh, my guess is the reason that they do it is to get a rise out of people like me. Or the the kind of people who are upset by that kind of stuff. They want to be noticed. They want to piss somebody off. They want to upset somebody's delicate sensibilities. And, And maybe they want to fight. Out of it I, I remember on election night, my cousin and I went and we uh, sat down at a Mexican restaurant and there was a guy in a big pickup truck with a giant Trump flag driving up and down the roads, screeching his tires and doing u-turns in the middle of the road and honking his horn and he wanted a fight. You know what I mean? He was he was there to uh, to bother people and then he wanted somebody to dare say something negative. And I wondered if maybe this was that, you know? He's just like, "Yeah, I got a box of Tampex." And I'm I've got it right here. I'm letting my flag fly. Oh, you have a problem with this? You want to call me a name? Rape. And uh, the second thought was, well, why, you know, why doesn't he have it in a bag? If he went on a register, And the employee, they automatically bag stuff, whether it's indiscreet or not. And I just could imagine the guy saying, no, don't bother putting it in a bag, I'll carry it out. What? You know, he wanted to fight even with the uh, poor lady behind the counter. But then the third thought that came into my mind was, well, maybe he just shoplifted it. (laughs) He's like, I'm not going to be embarrassed by taking this to a register and having somebody look at me and, you know... Cards on the table. If I had a wife or girlfriend and she said, hey, can you go get me this stuff? Um, I would be happy to do it. And if anybody saw me do it, I would be happy that they saw me because it would indicate to them and the world that I had a girl in my life of childbearing age, you know? You're like, hey, hey, did you, notice, uh, did you notice what I bought? But that's just me. I, I still don't understand what the guy, what his, his, his reasoning was, but maybe if I had followed him to his car, there would have been a bumper sticker there to tell me about his personality. They tell me the reasons why. So, you know, I I like to imagine that uh, I turned around and I followed him, out of curiosity, to his car. And it turns out that it's like a bright purple Prius. And it's got a bumper sticker on the back that, not surprisingly, says, Ask me about my uterus. Thank you, folks. Well, that's that.